You're listening to the Auburn Express. Powered by the War Report. All aboard the AM departure from platform 334, the Auburn Express. We're running on time and expecting no hiccups. Doing the work, hard work, to bring you the best Auburn sports content you'll find anywhere. We're going to start the portal conversation talking about a new addition from the portal. Um, Got a new transfer over from Liberty. A young man by the name of Steven Sings came over, transferred from Liberty. Edge player, 6'3", 225, former three-star player from Charlotte, North Carolina. So he was homegrown there in the area where Liberty University is, but comes over to Auburn now as part of that edge room. Um, Guys, have you had an opportunity to check out this young man? Anything on him? Yeah, I have, actually. Um, And so this is a pretty good pickup for Hugh Freeze. Um, Guys, it's, again, I can't stress enough. We talked about this, I think, on a drop. Hugh Freeze is really attacking areas of need on this team. So they went out and they, again, another pickup to try to bolster the Jack position, right? Because he is a candidate for that position, and we know how important that's going to be in Ron Roberts' defense. So going out and getting Steven Singh, and let's be honest, a guy he's familiar with, yeah. yeah. Right. Getting a guy he's familiar with, a player he's familiar with, uh, I think is important. So I, I like the pickup, uh, like you said, former three star. Uh, but now he's got some college, some, you know, college experience. Right. So hopefully, obviously, they think that he can come in and contribute immediately. It's going to be interesting to see how he kind of integrates into the process this summer. Uh, and, and then ultimately going into the fall, whether he plays a significant role. They're going to rotate some guys at that position, right? So with Dylan Brooks exiting and no longer a candidate for that, you know, you had to fill some roles, right? You had to, you got to fill a starting role because you didn't have a starter. And you got to fill a backup role. Mm-hmm. So all these guys will be, you know, uh, vying, you know, to, to be a part of what I, what I call New Jack City. I was looking at B for approval. You can't see me, but I was looking at B for approval. I just stick the landing, but yeah. New Jack City. We're going to start that. I make the graphic. Cue the graphic. We already got the Jack boys. Now we got New Jack City for the Jack position. I got you. B. Will, have you had a chance to check out Steven Sings, the new transfer linebacker edge player? I have not. I've been trying my best to finalize that intro. We got it done just in the nick of time. Yeah. Um, Why but... you telling everybody business? <laughs> hey, man. It's all right, man. We got it done. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was thinking that we hadn't heard an, an upbeat report about Ukwu. And I think that was the last true edge we had. So this seems like a Gary Which he, had. He went to, he went to uh, El Miss, by the way. Okay. So yeah. no, we didn't get him. So it seems like. Garrett, the defensive line coach Garrett and Hugh Freeze said, all right, so just in case, let's have somebody on the line, and this was our backup plan. There's nothing wrong with having a backup plan, especially somebody that you're already familiar with. So if he was good enough to play for Hugh Freeze and Coach Garrett there, my guess is they're already familiar enough with him to know that he wouldn't be a liability here, or else they wouldn't bring him in. He said clearly that he is not about bringing in guys just for the sake of having bodies that he actually wants to bring in guys who he feels like will improve the room. So I don't think this is a negative because we were, I think, in dire need of another 
true edge. We needed another one. And by everybody's report, I think Ike is the first person I actually heard say this, that Keldrick Falk is a more defensive end than edge. So, and I've heard Corey actually echo this in the chat plenty of times. Hopefully what they're trying to do is free up Falk to play defensive end as well. So Mm -hmm. you got two jacks. So you have depth at the jack position or the edge position. And now let Keldrick Falk start to turn into the monster he can be at his true natural position. So hopefully that's what this will be. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely. So I have, I too have not had a chance to really get any tape on the young man. Uh, I went and looked at some statistics, of course, but you know, I like to actually get in and 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 look at film on him. Um, but heard some good things about him. So looking forward to seeing how he contributes to that room. We're talking about the edge position for Auburn right now. We're looking at Elijah McAllister, of course, Wait, still in that. Then, room. then, Liber- then Liberty, uh, they led the NCAA in like sacks last year. Didn't oh, they, they were very productive. Yeah, they right. were good. Yeah. I mean, they were one yeah. of the most productive D lines you know, in the country last year. Yeah. Now, uh, competition has a lot to do with that, but yeah. um, I, I, the, what little I could find, I um, he looked pretty good rushing the passer. Yeah. And that is what Auburn is going to need, I think, on defense this year uh, to kind of help out the linebackers and, and, and the back end with the, with the defensive backs. Now, I think we have a pretty good defensive backfield, but, you know, it gets easier to play that position when you got a quarterback under duress. Right. Right. So having, you know, this guy, you know, possibly in the backfield, disrupting the backfield and disrupting the quarterback, I think makes the you know, it adds another layer layer of depth to the defense that Auburn is really going to need this year uh, because year one is going to be full of ups and downs. And what we've known about Auburn historically is, is that they've been more consistent on defense than they have on offense by a long shot. For sure. So I don't think that that's something that can go away under Hugh Freeze right now. He had, uh, what do they call it, the land shark mm-hmm. defense yeah. or whatever. And <laughs> I thought it was funny because they made plays at times, but they, they, were, they were fairly porous at times as well, too, if you they, ask they were, me. They, they, were, they were opportunistic, though. They definitely yeah, they were opportunistic defense. Uh, turnovers with that defense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I just wonder if it's going to look the same. Because if it's going to look the same, we're on for one hell of a ride, <laughs> right? Like we're, and I don't say that in a good way. Like I mean, it's going to be an emotional roller coaster, for sure. right? Of just yeah, oh, you know what I mean? Like so, get ready for that. And, and if they can improve on that, if Ron Roberts can improve on that. Um, I'll be interested. Now, mind you, it's going to be different than what. Q Freeze has had in the past, I think, a little, but obviously when he hired him, his philosophies aligned with what he thought, and you know, I, I just hope that it's takes the better elements of that old school Landshark defense and then provides a little bit more consistency and also um, that they can close out games. Now, uh, when you think about all the, all the coaches who have made a run at Nick Saban over the last few years, Hugh Freeze is one of the few that was able to get going and close the deal. Right. Like one of the few coaches that's been able to actually get going versus Nick Saban and then have the game plan and the foresight in planning to close the deal. And we've seen so many people get up on Nick Saban and then it looks they and seemingly they forget how to coach in the fourth quarter. And Nick Saban is like, man, we've been here before. <laughs> we'll come back. We have the athletes. We have the game experience. I, so I'm excited about this for Hugh Freeze. I, I think. You know, we joked with him in the interview that we did, Ike, that he's in a short club of people 
to own not one but two wins versus Nick Saban right. and in back-to-back years. And I don't think that that is a – I don't think that's a small thing. I don't think that's something that can be overlooked. He's the only one to do it in back-to-back years. Oh, he's the only one to do it in back-to-back years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not the only one with multiple, but the only one back-to-back, yeah. 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 So, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be significant in the years to come when, we, when we're looking back on this Iron Bowl, you know, recent history, what will be recent history, and saying – how well did he close games? You know, how many opportunities did he have to actually get the win in the Iron Bowl? And it's going to be important too. I think this defense, you know, getting the jack position right and being able to rush the passer and having this kid come in is going to be really important to changing the narrative in the Iron Bowl when it comes to playing Alabama in Tuscaloosa, right? Outside of 2010, that game has been a butt whooping. Yep. Right, and I think maybe 2014 we went in there, and I, it, it was yeah, we we, I, it we was, roasted them up for like it was 55 to 44 or something crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think Nick Marshall threw for the most yards ever of any quarterback in Iron Bowl history. Yeah, uh, on the Auburn side at least. But I, what like 400 some yards? Be yeah, he threw, he threw for 400. He threw Tim, 400 Duke yards. Duke Williams and Sammy Coates, <laughs> they put on a show that night. Yeah, they did. Oh, man. But outside of that, it's been a lot of blowouts in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. It's not been competitive. So, you know, Hugh Freeze has got to do, he's got to be able to go on the road in an off year and get a win in Tuscaloosa, right? And I think that you do that, guys, with defense, personally, right? You know, that year that I'm talking about, 2014, we scored a lot of points and lost, right? 99 total points scored in that game, Auburn lost. Yeah. So you, know, you got to be able to stop what they're doing because Alabama has transitioned from being a defensive powerhouse in the late, you know, in like kind of like the 08 to 012 era to being an offensive juggernaut. The 012 era? Yeah, 012 era. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I saw somebody say <laughs> no, this I in said the, the 08 to 012 era is what I was trying to say. A, a point, point of clarity, the only coach to beat Nick Saban at Alabama in back-to-back seasons because he's lost in back-to-back seasons to other coaches – and Tuberville beat him in back-to-back seasons, but one of them was at LSU and the other one was at Alabama as far as back-to-back games that he played against him. But so, he would have had to have beat him back-to-back he, in Tuscaloosa, though, right? He, it shows 2004, back-to-back matchups, 2004 and 2007. So there was a gap in time between, but he still beat yeah. him in back-to-back matchups. Saban but, got there in 07. No, 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 no. Tuberville he, won that game yeah. against right. them but in 07. 2004 was at, at Alabama, right? I'm just saying that was still he was an LSU coach at that time is what my point was. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So so he's being uh, saving back to back, but not uh, saving at Alabama back to back. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. All right. Fair yeah. enough. And then Fair he enough. had some back to back stuff. In me, but I'm talking about at Alabama. So just a point of clarity because I saw some questions in the chat about it. So mm-hmm. and I actually uh, I think John Gill here. I'm, Les Miles beats. I'm trying to think. Did LSU beat Alabama in 2010 because they lost three games. Mm. Two, three. I know he beat them in 11. That was a classic matchup between LSU and Alabama. Where they won nine to six in overtime, LSU did. That was at Tuscaloosa. Did LSU beat Alabama at LSU in twenty ten? Oh, they lost. They lost twenty four to twenty one. Who did in twenty ten? Alabama, Alabama lost. Did. Okay, yeah. so yeah, so Les at Miles LSU. did it first. Hey, thank you, Les Miles. Uh, with your me- mediocre ass. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just yeah. Big big boy. Yeah, listen, it's not an easy task to do. But unfortunately, you will be measured by this barometer, whether you like it or not, because they are the gold standard of college football right now. And it just happens to be your biggest rival. 
Mm-hmm. So you can't like, you know, so if you guys are wondering why we're talking about this, he can't escape this. And I think that you do that with defense. That's why bringing these kids in, every single one of these kids that they bring in, it is another piece on the board for Hugh Freeze to, in trying to solve the puzzle of developing that consistency on defense. Yeah. You know, I, I really believe because they're going to have their ups and downs on offense. I think that, you know, their best bet this year is hold hold people to under 17 points a game. Mm. That's the mark. That's the mark that I'm giving him. And you will have mm. a chance to win every single game you're in. That's that's a phenomenal defense in this it day is. and age to hold people it under is. 17 points it, per game. Yeah, it is. Right. And I, I maybe sound like I'm setting the bar really high, but but that's where it is in the SEC West. If you want to compete, you have to be spectacular at something. <laughs> hmm. Right? There are no, I mean, listen, you're, you're, well, not, I mean, so, you're, not, win, you're not mid in winning the SEC West. I, I, let, let's, let's, I mean, so let's clarify too. Like, or if we're talking about winning the West, then you need right. to be 17. Or competing for the West, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I think, I mean, so year one. I don't. Uh, Seventeen points per game is pretty high. Yeah, bar. Uh, that's, that's, that's yeah, a high yeah, bar. yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I should have clarified. I'm not expecting yeah. that in your one. But okay, you All should right. be. But you should be building toward. There should be some clear. Oh, for like, sure. Now that like, now, hey, I think everybody wants us to be in that range. You know, year two or three. You know, if we have some continuity with the coordinators, then right? I think that that's the space that you want to be building towards for sure. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What was. Like, the last two seasons, I want to say Georgia was in the 11, 12 points per game allowed. Yes. Yeah, it was, like it was something, something crazy low. Yeah. yeah, like, Chad, help me out here. I, but I, I'm pretty sure they were below 15 points per game. Right? And so, you know, the teams that were coming up behind them were, you know, somewhere in the area of five to seven points more than that allowed per game. But, you know, it was... It just it kind of underlines what a statistical anomaly that 2010 Auburn defense was. Oh, yeah, we were. But, I mean, when you got a guy on the other side who can do what Cam can do, it's, it's also a good indicator of what a strong running game that can possess the ball mm-hmm. can do for an overmatched defense. I just right. need you to get a stop here and there. Like, I'm going to possess the ball. If you can be fresh, get me the ball back. I'm going to possess the ball for way too long. Then I'm, I'm going to wear the other team out. It's... Hand in hand, man. We give a lot of credit. Uh, one of the reasons I always bemoan might give it too much credit to Tom Brady because his Super Bowl winning years, Belichick had put a championship, either a top five NFL defense on the other side. There's a reason why, NFL, why Tom Brady was winning those championships, man. The defense was giving the offense many opportunities, keeping the score low. But the same thing works the other way around, too. The offense can help that defense if the defense isn't performing up to stuff. Hand in hand. And we need some of, we need those hands to be working together and not uh, what it was in 2014. Like that performance that we put on in 2014 in the Iron Bowl, there's no reason we should have walked away from putting 44 points on an Alabama, uh, a Nick Saban Alabama team at Tuscaloosa. And lost. How, when was the last time we scored over 27? I don't even, I have no idea when was the last time anybody put up that many points on Nick Saban. At Tuscaloosa. There's no way we should have lost that game. But, of course, we know that's how it went. Yeah, get to the quarterback, right? Um, This year, Alabama is going to have somebody back there that can be got. Looking at their stable of quarterbacks right now, I'm telling you, these dudes can be rattled. There's not a Bryce Young back there this year. 
No, there's not. Mm. There's, not Bryce, there's, n- there's not a Bryce Young back there this year. Find a way to get to whoever is back there, whether it's this kid from Notre Dame or one of the two that looked, you know, like they took steps back at Alabama spring game. Now, who knows? Maybe the season starts and one of these five stars at Milrow was just like, psych, <laughs> I just had a bad spring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Milrow well. is one of those kind of, you know, and Robbie Ashford type of guys where his ability to throw the ball is not his biggest asset as a quarterback, right? Like right you right. have to mix in the fact that he's going to be able to run and you can't really gauge that during the spring. So he is a dynamic athlete and that's going to be the bigger challenge for him. Same thing when you look at the, um, the LSU quarterback, Jaden Daniels, right? Like he's not going to wow a lot of people with his arm talent. But the mix of the arm talent and the athleticism, same thing for K.J. Jefferson, right? Like there are guys in our league right now who it's not just about their pocket ability. It's about their athleticism as well. And that's where I think we're going to have to figure out with some of these guys that we're bringing in from the edge position. Can they have enough discipline to match up with these athletic quarterbacks and not right. lose contain? Right. That's, gonna, that's what's going to be tough, right? Bryce Young was not a willing runner. Like mm. He he wanted to sit in the pocket and analyze, and he was going to be a little bit more patient in the pocket. So if you could apply pressure to him, you could get to him. He was squirrely enough to get out of there, but he he wanted to operate from the pocket. Mm-hmm. How many players in our league right now want to operate from the pocket, right? Um, the kid at um, Mississippi State, whose name is evading me. Will right Rogers. Now, Will Rogers wants to operate from the pocket. Yeah. Um. That's probably going to be it. Well, shout out to Kenny B, Graham Mertz. Well, that will play. I'll say that's on okay. Auburn's schedule in the SEC, gotcha, right? Gotcha, like, I don't gotcha. I don't even know who the quarterback at Vandy is going to be. But um, if they're going to try to get back into what made them successful last year, they're going to have a dynamic athlete in the mold of Mike Wright, right? So they're not right. going to ha- – they're not just going to sit there and, and do that. So you're going to have to have guys who – Either they're sudden enough to make it happen before that guy has a time to adjust, which is why I love the addition of a guy like Jalen McLeod, because I think that he is a quick get into the pass rush game fast and make that quarterback have to speed up his thinking. But, I mean, who whoever wins maybe the quarterback battle of Georgia— that might right. be the only yeah. true pocket passer that we see right. the entire year from the SEC. Yeah, pocket passing as a skill. If you're going to have a, a pocket passer in an offense that is really made for somebody to sling it, it takes time to develop that guy. And SEC coaches don't really have that type of leeway. They just don't. They don't get enough time to go, hey, well, this is what's going to do. We're going to build it. We're going to build the offensive line. Yeah, you fire, buddy. Get out of here. <laughs> so we don't have that kind of time. Brian Kelly had a pocket passer there. And everybody, by all accounts, there was positive about the guy. Who was at LSU before Jaden Daniels came in? He stayed He stayed there after Aaron they had Meyer. That's Meyer. So we saw a little bit of him the prior year. We were like, I don't know, man. This dude can kind of sling it. Brian Kelly was like, nope, look, it's going to take too long. Come in here, Jaden Daniels. You've already played. You know how to use your legs. You're decisive enough to run this offense. Let's go win some games. And to his credit, it worked. Now, would, right. it, would it have worked with Nussmeyer trying to learn a whole new offense? And even with Jaden Daniels, it looked rough at first. Like, I was yeah. like, I don't know. He's all right. It, he just had to get in a flow because what it comes down to, if you are a running quarterback who has that option, you just have to know when to run. If you are athletic enough, you can get whatever the defense is giving you. They had enough dynamic talent at wide receiver to be threats, and the rest of it just goes. Now, they were, I still don't think they were a dynamic offense. I remember games like Arkansas. It was like a, was it like 14 to 13 or something like mm-hmm. that? Like, they didn't light it up all the time. What? Whatever. They they could still 
be decisive enough, control the game with the run, and win enough games, close games too, especially, like I said, the one at home against Bama. As long as that's possible, I see why guys are going with the dual-threat quarterbacks first. The, the throwing quarterbacks are an investment, and not enough coaches get the leeway to make that investment at the quarterback position. Yeah, I think that it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see what level of patience uh, fans have with the offense next year. Right. Like at what point in time and Mike, you've talked about this a few times, how short a leash is the starting quarterback going to have this year? And at what point in time are fans going to start to get antsy and say, hey, now we want to see the backup. Is it going to take a minute for us to get this product to look like something like the first couple of games of the season? they should be able to light up the scoreboard. But if we don't, right, if we go out to Cal and we only put up 24 points and some of that comes off of a great defensive performance or something like that, are people going to start to get antsy early in the season? (laughs) Yeah, like, listen, this is Hugh Freeze's line of fire, right? Is scoring points. You know, having an offense that can not only move the ball, but finish the job in the red zone. And... It's been just such a trial for Auburn over the years, having an offense that feels a little more automatic inside the 20. And the years that they've been able to do it, they've competed for championships. Right. I want to I want, hear me out. That is, not, that is not even a stretch, what I just said. Yeah. That is absolute fact. When Auburn has been good, finishing off drives in the red zone, three years, you know, or four years or, or five years in the last, you know, 20 or whatever, they have competed for championships. 2004, right? 2006, you know, people forget that was an 11-2 squad. Uh, 2010, 2013, 2017, right? And 2017 was a gust team. So, like, when they did struggle, you know, the struggles that they did have were the reason that they didn't make it to the playoff. They were untimely struggles. So, you know, you've got to have, you've got to have, if you're going to be a team that competes for the division, and then you've got to have a good red zone offense. And Hugh Freeze talked about this. He talked about bringing in an offensive coordinator that could help improve his offense in this area. Right? He said, I feel like I do some things well. There's some guys out there to do some things well inside the 20. We're going to try to marry the systems and see if we can come up with something that's highly effective and highly efficient. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. But, you know, it, it, bringing it full circle back to this kid that, they, that they're bringing in, you know, at, at defensive end slash Jack, right? I do, I think having a solid year in year one, and when I say solid year, I mean, to me, that's six to eight, eight wins in year one. Um. Job number one for this team is make a bowl game. But, but your defense has to allow you some latitude to figure things out on offense over the first third of the season. Right? With the schedule, the way the schedule sets up. Samford, Cal, you know what I mean? These easy games that you got to start. You know, you get a chance to figure out what your offense is, what you do well, and you got to hold, you hold these teams to low points, and, and then hopefully by the time you get into true SEC play, which is Texas A&M, you've got it figured out. Yeah. Right, your defense is solid, and you know what you are on offense, so you can play to your strengths and then continue to improve from there. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be imperative that the first three games, like I said, that, that fans have a little patience with the product or conversely, not get too excited if it's going extremely well against these mediocre teams early because this is this is the trap i think people fell into the first year of 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 coach harson which is we go out there and we put up like 60 points in the first game and like oh we're so back and it's like it was akron settle down (laughs) it was alabama state yeah let's settle down georgia georgia state settled everybody down yeah and it but the wheels fell off and against Ole Miss, right? Like Ole Miss is it just for whatever reason it just no. We did beat not, Ole Miss the first year. I know, but the second half of that game, oh, we didn't half, score any points. We scored like three points, and but they that didn't was either. But no, but so nobody was incredibly alarmed yet, right? But that was right. the harbinger of this ain't going so right. But we didn't see it then. If you look back at it, you look at the second half of Ole Miss, and you're like, that's when it fell apart. That's mm-hmm. we we started going downhill second half of Ole Miss. Now Georgia State should have told you something about our defense, really more so than our offense. It was telling you Zacobi you don't have that nothing. man. You don't <laughs> yeah. have that man Zacoby there. Yeah. You're in trouble on yeah, defense. Zacobi right? or nothing. But second half of Ole Miss was basically like the signpost to say, I don't know, cuz. <laughs> and yeah. it became the pattern for the next year. Right, like it was the next, like every game, it was pretty much second half. We ain't gonna do nothing. We're gonna Our come out in the second half. Weren't great year two of ours neither. Our first half. I'm just saying though, but you had there. So here, here's the things that I love about coaches, specifically offensive minded coaches. Right, is they figure out either how to come out and put great game plans together and then sustain momentum enough to win games, or they realize it's going poorly and they can make adjustments throughout the game. And you realize second half of that game, they're going to come out and do something way different and they're going to figure out what they need to do. It seemed as if we had, because we had the inability to do the second of those things, if we didn't do the first, we had no prayer in that game. No prayer whatsoever. That showed itself in the Arkansas game last year. We didn't come out and couldn't put up points. And it was just, we came back in the second half downhill. Penn State, second half, that people forget Penn State was a contest at half. And had it not been for turnovers in the first half, right. Auburn would have gone into the half probably with a lead in that game. The right. second half was so bad that it made you feel like Penn State whooped us up and down the field for four quarters. And that's just not true. Go back and watch the game. We were in that game and came out at halftime was like, all right, we did enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, that was embarrassing. Yeah, oh, it hurt so bad. It hurt I remember so thinking bad. that we were going to have preseason. I, I thought we were going to have something for them because yeah. going there and losing the title. Revenge, like we're going to come back. Oh, thought, yeah, man. You got, thought, oh, man, I said man. some things I regret. Oh, man. Yeah, looking back at it, it was definitely bad. But listen, we're going to go to the chat. We're going to get a couple of comments from you guys. Um, Juice Heist says, what other positions of need do we have? I feel like Coach Hugh Freeze has plugged all visible holes. Any thoughts on positions of need still left for this team? No. Mm. Well, it. what do you think of the guys who we have at wide receiver? We have more bodies. We have bigger bodies. Mm-hmm. Right. Do they have the exact skill sets that Hugh Freeze is looking for? Obviously, if it's not just height, because Landon King will still be here. Yeah, I mean, just, he wanted height. Us, right? there, there, so there's a couple of things that you have to have uh, as far as this system is concerned. 
there is a certain level of speed that he wants, right? Like you need to be able, and I've said this a few times and I'll say it again for those who've never heard me say it, that wide receivers win in three ways, right? He wants guys who has it, have at least two of those three right. as mm. a makeup, right? He mm. wants a guy, either he's going to win off the line of scrimmage, he's going to win at the at the break point, which is at the top of the route, because in the top of the route for this system, it's more about understanding whether or not you need to continue that route or break it off because of what the defense is playing. And then you need guys who can win at the catch point. So if you didn't get separation, can I still throw you the ball and you're open? Right. So you got a guy most recently in Jair, um, last name shorter, uh, that is a guy who can win at the catch point. Now, can he win at the catch point at this level yet to be seen? Right. You've got a guy in Camden Brown who can win at the catch point. We've got some catch point contest catch guys. I think we have some guys who can win off of the line of scrimmage. I don't know that we have many of the combo guys, the route right? like guys who yeah. can they can run the route well, and if they're not open, you can still throw it to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know that we have that guy on this team, um, which is why the scheme is going to be so much more important when you can't just say, I'm always open, throw me the ball. Mm-hmm. Can you scheme guys open and get some separation in those ways? So back to the question that you asked, what do I feel about this wide receiver room? I think it's good a lot of it's going to come down to how accurate is the quarterback, though, because I don't yeah. feel like we have a an issue with guys who won't be able to catch the ball if it's thrown their way. How accurate is the quarterback? Gonna yeah, be? I gonna just be right I just think it's no way to know how good the wide receiver room is right now with how poor the passing game has been. Right, sure. right, yeah, like they just have not had the in game reps. They haven't had the opportunities to show what they can do, and we've seen it in flashes um, at times when accurate passes have been thrown, but. Um, you know, over the last half of last season, I just felt so bad for those guys, man, with the, you know, the ground and pound that they had to do, right, uh, to just not have the end of the season be a complete disaster. You know, you had a quarterback with a hurt shoulder the entire season. Um, you know, you, you had a coaching mess, right, and you had essentially what was a moving target in terms of offensive philosophy the entire year. Some stability. You know, one of the things that I noted about uh, Rivaldo was is that when you watch his tape, his quarterback at FIU was extremely accurate getting him the ball over the middle of the field. He was catching the ball in stride a lot. And as a result, all his yak yards were insane. And so once he caught the ball, he was able to use his natural athleticism to stiff arm guys, break tackles, and get upfield. If the quarterback can do that for the receivers this year, then I think that you'll see that the talent is not, we're not as bereft of talent at that position as people think. Yeah. That's why people like Heather Dinich come in, watch one practice, and then they're like, yeah, it's going to be rough. (laughs) Yeah. Now, she's not wrong, right? It just, there's nuance to that. Yeah. It's it's a premature assessment of something yeah. that was a very early product, right? Like, right. That would have been like us walking into that foundry and being like, I wouldn't cook on this, and we're sitting here watching molten steel get yeah, poured. Right. Yeah, and it's I, like, yeah. uh, I don't yeah. think you're you're not supposed to you're not supposed this is not the finished product that you're grading. Yeah, it comes like right off the press, and we're like, Yeah, yeah I ain't cooking on that. No, yeah. Of course you're not, W. It's got like eight <laughs> more processes to go through before it's ready <laughs> to be used. Um yeah, I, I just think football is football. You know, like, you know, you, you, you've heard some of the old heads said, listen, man, football is blocking, passing, catching, <laughs> right, and hitting. 
And throwing and catching has been a, as part of, a part of football for as long as football has been. So, you know, if you have a quarterback that throws accurate passes, a wide receiver, he goes out there and he runs a route is a route. Go out there, win your route, and deliver him an accurate football, and he'll probably catch it. Right. Yeah. You know, acting like we had, I think this was the problem that I had with our wide receivers, the criticism of our wide receivers, Harson's first year. Right. When people were talking about drops. And what I saw when I watched the tape were passes that were all over the place. Right. And as a receiver, you're almost practicing adjusting to a pass you know is not going to be accurate. Mm-hmm. And then in the games where that consistency and accuracy was there, they, they, just, they looked just fine. Yeah. We weren't talking about the receivers. So if it is Thorne that brings that consistency to the wide receiver room, great. I'm all about it because I think, I think that that's probably the most important. If, if the line can block, the most important thing will be that consistency for the quarterback in the passing game. Throw accurate passes on routine routes. And then let your playmakers make plays after that. Yeah. That's what you have to do. If you cannot do that, then it's going to be tough, I think, for the wide receivers, you know, going into, going into the season. Because asking this group of inexperienced receivers to go out and bail the quarterback out, I, I, it's just not reasonable. Right. That's why you go out and you get a, a quarterback like Payne Thorne, hoping that he brings that to the room. Right. And if it's not him, then you have to hope that Robbie Ashford has made the jump and he becomes that quarterback. Either way, you need it. You don't get away from it. Right. Yeah, it's gonna be it's it. gonna be important for to these first weeks of the summer while they're trying to figure all these things out. They figure out how to get on the same page in that wide receiver room because, as we've noted, I don't think it's a talent disparity that we have. Um, so if we can figure out how to unearth the talent that's in that room, then we'll be just fine. Uh, the question was about any holes. I, I think that we're good. I if they didn't sign another player, I think we would be fine. Right. Um, but. You know, I'm glad that they've gone out and they've added some more depth because injuries are going to happen. Other things are going to preclude players from hitting the field. You need to make sure that you have enough depth in those rooms that you don't feel the hit of that too hard. 